Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode, I interview Brooklyn-based multidisciplinary artist Derek Adams. His admired work spans painting, collage, sculpture performance, video, and sound installations. Derek received his MFA from Columbia University and BFA from Pratt Institute. He is an alumnus of the Skowhegan School of Painting and Sculpture, as well as a past participant in many prestigious residency and fellowship programs, including the Robert Rauschenberg Foundation Residency, a Gordon Parks Foundation Fellowship, a Studio Museum Joyce Alexander Wien Artist Prize, amongst many others. He has been in several solo and group exhibitions, and he has presented in numerous important public exhibitions. His work resides in the permanent collections of several museums, including the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the Studio Museum in Harlem, to name a few. I am proud to feature Derek, not only for his impressive art practice and many successes, but also for all his hard work and effort supporting other artists. Welcome and enjoy. Derek, it's so great to have you on my podcast. I've been pursuing you for a little while, so I'm happy that we finally had a chance to connect. So we have so much to talk about today. You've done so much. I'm so impressed with you as an artist and as a person. But let's just start with you first telling us about yourself and when did you realize that you are indeed an artist? Well, I'm happy to be uh, joining you today. I always enjoy our conversations. And when we meet, when we get a chance to meet up at various, uh, I guess, friends, places, right. you know, artists, whoever. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. Thank you. Well, uh, well, when I was in elementary school in Baltimore, which is my hometown, I, you know, I was always into art and drawing and doing different things. And um, I had a really, uh, I guess, influential um, art teacher, a younger, younger black woman. Uh, as I recall, her name was Mrs. Wilson. <laughs> and she was an art teacher and she would give me like outside assignments that were not part of the class uh, assignments because she saw that I was, I guess, really interested in art and maybe more advanced in some ways. And so she started to give me like assignments that were um, contest focused and things that, you know, are were related to other um, like more national uh, contests in the city with like energy conservation, heritage related themes. And so she started putting my work just in these shows, which I wasn't even aware of what a contest was at that time as a young elementary school kid. But I started to, you know, win contests and win, uh, you know, awards and things like that. And she just really made me aware of like the role of an artist, the impact an artist could have, 
the, I guess, the prestige of being an artist, things that I never really considered as a young artist. And then also the school, it's, you know, my school that I attended also started to um, notice what it is to be an artist. And they started to appreciate art in a different way at school. So I started to think about art um, and the importance of art at a very young age, just based on an awakening of the whole school through this one teacher's, uh, I guess, motivation. And you've worked with youngsters since then, right? Yeah, yeah, I enjoy working with younger. You know, well, my undergrad degree from Pratt is an art and design education, which is basically a teaching degree. And part of that, having that degree, was teaching in the public school system and museum education. So after Pratt, I worked at Brooklyn Museum, art program. I taught in the Lower East Side School. I taught in uh, PS3 and Bed-Stuy. I was taught like a lot of other, like, you know, uh, elementary grade, uh, uh, grade school before going right into like my profession as a full-time artist. I was teaching, you know, working with kids a lot, which was very um, enjoyable, actually. I bet, I bet. So share with us what group you're teaching now <laughs> and what it's, what it's like teaching during COVID. Well, you know, I, I accepted a position at Brooklyn College a couple of years ago in the art department. And so now I'm working with the, the grad students and the undergrads in the art department, which um, is definitely um, rewarding but challenging at this particular time because of the limitations of what uh, of access to the department and to the campus. So a lot of the things we're doing or most of the things we're doing, if not all, are remote. And so my day really consists of being on Zoom <laughs> and doing Zoom uh, meetings with students uh, in their, whatever the space they decide to use as their studio space off campus because, you know, we're not allowed to be on campus. So that's been a challenge because just understanding space and access has, has changed for a lot of the younger artists. You know, the graduate students who are mostly um, from out of state um, and then the undergrads who are mostly like first generation um, um, New Yorkers, parents from, you know, other places. And so they, you know, I feel like the younger students have adjusted more because they're from here. And I think that people from here have a certain level of, of adapting to environments in a certain way or conditions in a different way. So I, you know, it's not as much of a challenge for the undergrad BFA students as it is for the MFA students who are coming from other cities, but it's definitely keeping me on my toes. I mean, you have to really be engaged when you're doing Zoom meetings and being um, very uh, present, you know? Right. Yeah, using a studio visit, you are looking at the art most of the time and not the person. But with the Zoom meetings, you are really looking at the person most of the meeting. And then if they're doing a presentation of their work, you still have to somehow be, you know, present when you're looking at the work and the person, you know. So it's, right. it can be draining because it's so um, much about your energy. So during this time, are you actively creating and, and how has this situation impacted, you know, where you are mentally and what you want to create? Um, I, I've actually, uh, I think I've been more productive right now in this past few months than I have been able to concentrate before then, before 
the pandemic and, uh, you know, the quarantine, you know, I was working on, you know, I had multiple shows happening and things were happening. And actually I opened like three shows right before this all happened. Maybe four. I did, you know, I had a show to open that um, at SCAD um, Fashion Museum, then um, Peabody Essex Museum, and then Yonkers um, at Hudson River Museum. And, um, and those shows all happened right before um, this all happened. Right. And um, so I was pretty exhausted at that point. Um, so when everything ha- shut down, I was like pretty much like, thank God. Like, you know, <laughs> I mean, I wasn't, you know, I know that, you know, there has been a lot of tragedy and trauma attached to it. You know, I've been you know, very uh, helpful in areas that I can be as an artist, as a person with supporting my fellow artists and friends um, in need. But I've also um, was able to really disconnect and just focus in the studio. And I feel like I produced uh, a considerable amount of things I was trying to accomplish uh, before everything uh, happened. I was able to really focus in and produce a lot of work, you know, and a lot of work that I felt really strongly strong about. So it was, um, it had its downside, but for me on, the creative side, it was very uh, influential for, you know, what I was making and how I was making work. Well, you're, you're a very optimistic, positive person, so I could see you definitely, uh, you know, I mean, taking... Yeah, you have to be. Yeah, you you have to be. And, that, and your work reflects that, and it's consistent in terms of colorful, playful, you know, feelings and thoughts of happiness. How, where is your head at like now? I mean, how has COVID, are you driven more to reflect happiness in your work? I mean, I think that, you know, when you really think about the, the experience, the Black American experience and all the things that have happened to us and that we had to endure, the fact that we're here and the fact that we've been able to exist um, and, you know, in this time, as well as, you know, even more severe circumstances, is something to also celebrate and acknowledge. And the fact that we are um, multidimensional, we have multidimensional experiences as humans, and regardless of the fact that we're constantly pushing against injustice and pushing against uh, oppression, oppressive structures, uh, we still found time to be nurturing to each other and to, you know, and to have family and to celebrate these things. And I feel, you know, just as a black person, we're not always um, given the opportunity, even within our own group, to celebrate those things and not and to put those things forward, because we feel sometimes in danger of people thinking that we're okay, that things aren't as bad as um, they look. But in all actuality, that's the way that we've really been able to survive, is to um, look at the multidimensional uh, quality of who we are and the fact that we do have, you know, triumphant moments. And, you know, when people, you know, even when we're looking at images online of activists from, you know, the 60s and the 50s, the images that really draw us a lot and the images I see online a lot are images of these individuals at parties and these individuals dancing and how people are so blown away to see like James Baldwin dancing with Maya Angelou at a party or those types of things. Those are things that we look at as very significant moments in history to see these people who are very serious and very focused, but we also are very excited to see the images of them having social gatherings. And I think that we should think about those things 
when we are thinking about the future and what we want people to see about us as creators and, and what we think is important beyond the topical issues that we face, which is very mirrored to things that we've always faced, but something is very um, consistent also with those uh, circumstances that we still find time to enjoy one another's company, to um, support each other, to be in spaces where we feel safe and loved. And I think that the, the next generation should see those images as much as they see the images of trauma and of um, oppressive experiences that we are having. I think that we should, it should also always be balanced um, by the two because, you know, I personally don't want the next generation to look at this time and only see trauma and only see um, the things that will not empower them necessarily, but to see those images and that, um, that history, you know, juxtapose other celebratory histories that we've been able to accomplish. And the fact that we've actually even accomplished these things during these particular times is all the more the reason to celebrate the achievements that we've had as black people. Right, and to be proud. And with those thoughts, what inspired you or what motivated you to start your retreat? Uh, share with us. Oh, so, you know, in Baltimore, um, where my hometown, I, um, you know, I've, I've made an effort in the past couple of years to start, you know, going back home and becoming more, um, to become reacquainted with my hometown because I've been in New York since 93, but I've always gone back to Baltimore to visit family, which most majority of my family is still in Baltimore. But I've also been, you know, reconnecting with the younger creative community in Baltimore. Um, and just, you know, being very, um, like, um, responsive to what's happening and being very nurturing to, uh, you know, the next up-and-coming artists. Um, and I, you know, and then, you know, the reason why I moved to New York was because of the lack of um, exposure, the lack of opportunity at the time that I was a younger artist. And so I'm noticing in Baltimore how there has been such a surge in the level of creativity. And for me, I've noticed more coming from the Black community, creative community in Baltimore, that they've been very, um, you know, advanced in their practice and art making and thinking about business and being very strategic in the way that um, artists, um, you know, are all around are not doing. I think, you know, I'm starting, I started to see something that was really fascinating for me in Baltimore. And so, I had the opportunity to acquire some property in the heart of the city. And I decided to, you know, create a retreat for black artists. And that kind of was my focus. At first I was kind of considering, you know, who would be the audience, how specific it would be. Um, and I, I kept coming around to the idea of making it um, for black artists or black identified creatives and not only visual artists, but, uh, literary, culinary, tech, business-focused uh, creatives who are thinking about endeavors in business that can kind of somehow um, be in conversation with visual artists or culinary or literary. And I, you know, I really, I just, you know, from being from Baltimore and seeing the kind of economic uh, unevenness of the Black community and the other community, I just felt that this uh, retreat and residency would be more beneficial to focus primarily, uh, if not exclusively, on the Black creatives. Not saying that the other uh, non-Black uh, 
creatives and other people who are allies to my this interest can be a can they also can be a part of it in some way because they will be programming around a lot of the conversations that are related to the artists and the people who are there. Um, there will be opportunities for social engagements with you know in intimate settings that will include other people. But my focus was to kind of give black creatives a place of rest and an oasis and a reflective environment that you can or you don't have to be productive. Like you don't have to come there to make stuff. You can come there to relax. You know, you can come there to meditate. There will be um, people who are qualified practitioners leading conversations in meditation and relaxation and things, even financial advice, um, things that I feel have, um, have kind of been the most necessary things um, to me moving forward in the way that I see um, the lack of, of, um, of these services um, in other, you know, other residencies or retreats and I want and retreat. And I really want to make this space really not a working space. Although there are studios being built, there's also like a, a big group gathering space that's being built. And then there's, you know, quite a few rooms in the houses um, for, you know, for guests and for visiting critics and visiting writers who may be in town for a couple of days, we will invite those people to come and kind of um, gather with the visiting artists and have dinner and have, you know, screenings, things that would be part of a, you know, beginning a conversation for these artists. But I really wanted to have this place that, you know, like I say to people, my joke is like, I want to create a flop house <laughs> you know, I want to create a flop house for black creatives that they don't have to do anything. You know, just the fact that we're, you know, I want to pay, I want, I want to pay and I want to get people to pay for black, young black people and not only young black people, but black people in general to have a space of just gathering. I want to uh, figure out how to have a place finance that would just allow black people not to actually uh, be productive in the sense that they have to um, be accountable for making something before they leave. I want them to feel like after they leave, they could be even more productive from the time of rest and and reflection on you know at the retreat residency. Mm-hmm, mm, commendable. Thank you so much. You're a real advocate and, and a philanthropist. It's it's fantastic, and and it's a, a twist on a business model, which is is smart. And and how um how are the creatives responding? Um, I think you know I haven't. We're still working on it. We're still renovating the property and everything. And I'm and right now for the next year or so, because I'm hoping that it'll be done by next year. But what I've been doing, you know. As um as a person you know from Baltimore, kind of get re- reacquainted with my 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 city, I've been kind of really um, using uh, taking the opportunity to engage with not only the visual art community but also the the grassroots community who are doing projects within the community. Everything from like landscapers and people doing things that are um, promoting other levels of uh, sustainability in um, Baltimore, Um, business people talking about, you know, how to be an entrepreneur, how to buy property. I've been really taking this time to just become really aware of what the dynamic of the dynamics of the city 
and what people are really interested in and using all of this data to form a concept that is um, that is beneficial to everyone who, you know, who participates in the residency because right now it's such a loosely formed concept that I want to have some structure, but I don't want it to be a, a way, a structure that I feel is um, more about me than the occupants of the residency. So I'm really trying to, you know, because the goal is to always have out of the cycle of people, which will be a month long um, stay, I, it always has to be one out of the four from Baltimore in any of the categories that are there. Um, everyone else can, you know, it's international. And the reason for that is to somehow bring these people to Baltimore and allow these artists from Baltimore to engage with an international audience and community without necessarily having to leave Baltimore. And Baltimore also has a very interesting, um, has very interesting opportunities for real estate, like housing and things that are, that are really um, at low prices. And I noticed that. And I also wanted to really think about, you know, having these young creatives stay in Baltimore and, and get, you know, acquire property, you know, how can we bring revenue into the city for these creatives to somehow benefit in a way that um, they can stay in Baltimore, but also if they want to leave and travel like most artists or creative people do, they'll still have this home base and this house or this property that um, they, you know, they can work in and, you know, and thrive in, you know, because I think that for me is was, was part of the goal. It's part of the goal when I start to kind of understand the city and understand what was missing um, and what could happen. What's the possibilities? I already started thinking about opportunity for these artists um, as they um, start to kind of establish themselves. How can I be helpful? Um, and I just thought that being a facilitator and connecting people would be, I guess, my biggest asset after getting the space up and open. It's wonderful. Thank you so much for what you do. So let's talk about upcoming shows. You mentioned a couple to me, like the wallpaper and at the Wallach. So let me let you share with us the details. Well, I recently, I think I, I, I consider one of this project that I have coming up to me, my most important and most substantial project. And it's not in, in a museum or in a gallery. It's a wallpaper commission from RX Art um, organization for the Harlem Hospital Children's Ward. Wonderful. I was commissioned to make uh, wallpaper for uh, um, for a few rooms um, that are in the emergency part of uh, the children's ward of the hospital. And so it really um, put me to task to really think about my work and what um, it would do in a space where um, children would uh, visit and would have experiences that, again, are traumatic experiences. That's why kids would come to a hospital um, and in most cases, and how my work can somehow influence um, a positive outcome or at least uh, uh, some possibilities of, you know, reminding them about um, the more positive parts of their lives and the most positive part of who they are as human. So I designed wallpaper and I had to really think about it, you know, because as, a, as an artist, you do have an audience or you can think about an audience but it's really more about like what you want to make. And really in my studio, I'm always producing what I feel I want people to see. But in the case of uh, creating this wallpaper image, I was really thinking less about myself and more about what would make a kid uh, who's coming to the hospital for some 
you know, severe reason or whatever, look at this, you know, take their mind off of their experience. And so I was more challenged with this wallpaper in a way that I felt really uh, pushed my, my practice or confirmed my, um, my position as an artist and what my personal interests are and concepts for making art in a way that was, um, I think, highlighted in this project. Amazing. You know, I often ask artists to share with me, you know, do they keep their audience in mind when they're creating? And the answer is usually no. And this time <laughs> it's yes. And I would think it's very challenging. It's very challenging. Yeah. What a great thing to focus on, how to make children happy, you know? I mean, you know, they're, the thing about kids, they, you know, they're the toughest audience. You know, they either like it or don't like it. They don't have <laughs> that. They don't have that way of looking at things through a lens that has been imposed necessarily on the way that they um, receive images and um, and the way that they um, determine what is valuable and what is uh, what is important. They just kind of like what they like and they don't they don't like it. They don't like it. They'll tell you sometimes if they don't like it. And for me, you know, when I'm in my studio making work, I don't necessarily think about the audience when I'm making work on, in my, you know, just as my, in my practice. I'm, I mean, I do consider that I'm in conversation with uh, an audience in some, some way, but I also, also think that I already know through my subject matter what I'm trying to communicate and that my audience or whoever those that might be will receive it in a way that I think would be beneficial to them. Um, so I don't think about audience as I'm making, but I think about audience as in placement, where it's going to go, you know, who's going to see it. I think about those things when I'm making work. Interesting. So you have another show, right? The uh, Wallach? Yeah. So it's another show at um, that's being, um, I guess it's a group show, but quite a few of my, um, my peers are in, it's a triannual, um, Harlem triannual, and it's going to be, um, in uh, the Columbia Gallery, um, the Wallet Gallery, I think opening in maybe a week. Wow. I think. Um, and I'm excited for um, to see the collection of of artists. I mean, I included um, in my my uh, contribution to the exhibition was um, a piece that that kind of extended from my my long um, interest in the Green Book and uh, in my exhibition um, that was at Museum of Art and Design that incorporated the Green Book um, published by Victor Hugo Green, uh, postal worker uh, from Harlem. And um, I incorporated, again, a wallpaper installation in this uh, exhibition with uh, Harlem listings or at least um, Upper Manhattan listings um, and that were in the Green Book as part of my the subject in this particular work. Fascinating. That's wonderful. Wow, that's great. Yeah. And your show at Hudson River just closed like August, uh, late August, August 23rd? Yeah, so the the show that I have, Buoyant, that was at um, Hudson, Hudson River Museum in Yonkers, has now traveled to St. Petersburg Museum in Florida. Um, that part of the show, but the other installation I had at the museum, um, Party and Plan, uh, which is another installation in the museum, is still um, 
installed there, um, I think for another few weeks. Um, and that's, that part is not going to travel, but the part that, uh, exhibition that included the floaters, which is the series of works that I've, I started in 2015, um, of black figures, um, and leisure on flotation, um, objects, um, that is traveling. Um, and so, uh, and that's all, you know, that exhibition, that particular body of work has, you know, that series has ended. Um, and so I'm happy to, that I'm able to share the, 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 you know, the experience of making those works and, um, and having those works, uh, back, you know, joined together, um, uh, and it, it to show this series that I, I felt really strongly about when I was making the work because I, I thought it was a, a need to show, uh, images like those images in the world. And I'm so happy that it's, you know, it's traveling. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, this has been a great chat. So we're at our last question. And I usually ask people at the end, uh, what do you feel your role is as an artist? And we've been talking about you as a human, you as a person this entire time. And it's a sort of an obvious answer, I think. But what do you feel your role is as an artist? You do so much, you give so much. But if you could say in you know, a few sentences, what do you feel your role is as an artist? I think I would, you know, I would like to think that most artists who, 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 may, who have an idea and they, the idea becomes a motivation for making work. I think that once you start making work and you're consistent, your audience or the people that receive your work starts, they, they kind of form an idea of your purpose in some ways because they're affected by it. And then you get to understand the effects of your work on other people. And I think that from that, I've learned just over the time of making work that I've been an artist who been able to remind people, especially black people of our humanity and I've been able to remind people of our, our complexity and that we're not just people who things have been done to us, which, we, which, which is true, but we also have these other experiences that for the most part, we don't feel should always be promoted or are as important to be promoted. So I think I would say that my role would be a reminder, a reminder of, um, of greatness, And I think of that when I'm thinking about the work, showing how great we are, showing how um, how much we've been able to persevere. Mm -hmm. And um, and also, you know, just thinking about the things that, you know, are important to me. And what is important to me is showing alternative um, perspectives and presentations of what is being shown in the world. And so I enjoy it because it's endless. It's so much information that, you know, that's not present. It's so much visual culture and visual imagery of black life. For me, I've never, I'm never going to run out of subject matter or, <laughs> or anything because I feel like what I'm doing is not something that is, you know, it's starting to become more, um, more prominent within the art world, seeing young artists mostly young artists make images of everyday life and, and things that relate to black culture in a more leisurely manner. But I think that is something that is still 
a challenge for us because with everything happening, as black people, we feel the need to to um, respond to topical um, things of politics. And um, and I think that is important to, if you feel the calling to do that. But I think that artists should also, black artists primarily, should be able to talk about anything they want to talk about. Because I think any particular position that a black artist picked is political with everything happening. And if you feel strongly about what you want to make and what you want people to see, then I think that's a really strong stance that you have to stand by and believe in it. And for me, I feel like I represent that voice and um, in the art world. And I think it's a voice that uh, is important to, to be there. Well, thank you very much for having that voice. And your legacy will be a very positive, uplifting one. <laughs> and uh, it will be. I, I hope so. <laughs> it will be. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure talking to you on and off of Zoom. <laughs> I look you. forward to like gathering with you at some point soon. Yes, for sure. Thank you. Thanks so much, Derek. Take care. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram. 